0: Flashes and Cold Topics, a podcast for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cold Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Bridget. And I'm Colleen. And today we are very thrilled to have Bonnie Marcus on. Bonnie Marcus has written a book called Not Done Yet How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim Workplace Power. And once again, I'm sorry to have missed this. But I kind of had lost my voice and I was a little sick. So I had to miss a few episodes because it's hard to interview people when you can't talk. Yeah. So uh, Colleen took this one and Yeah, I got I'm some good interviews. I'm
1: sorry you were sick, but hey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I got to learn a lot. Yeah. Um, Bonnie was really generous with her suggestions. There are a lot of women in our demographic who feel like they're slowly becoming invisible at work, they're afraid to speak up. They're afraid that the millennials are slowly taking over their jobs. And so Bonnie talks about in her book, Not Done Yet, practical ways that you can talk to your bosses about discomfort in the workplace, talk about creating a journal of your achievements so that you remember what you're capable of. And Really important having mentors. You know, we think of as a mentor uh, of a mentor as somebody who's older than us that's going to teach us stuff or that we're mentoring a younger person. But a younger person can be our mentor as well. So you can't be afraid to ask for help. If there is a, you know, I always go back to technology because we're a little slower on the technology range. If there's something you don't understand, go to one of them and say, can you show me this? I want to make sure I'm a part of the conversation. And we discuss a lot of that during the episode she offers realistic tips in the not done yet book. And I think that we need to take our place at the table. And she talks a lot about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now that you're back and you're healthy, you will be coming on to more shows and be able to use your voice, Bridget, to talk yes. about.
0: <laughs> now that, that you're back.
1: Now yes. that you're back. We're coming close to the end of seasons. Two, if you can believe it, it's the end of September, we'll be in season three, we have some amazing guests. I think I'm looking forward to the fact that my daughter's wedding will be done. By
0: oh, goodness. Oh, yeah. I know, I know. But it will be beautiful. And you know what? Colleen has really been great about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll this see. wedding, I would have been out of my mind by now. So she's doing great. Three
1: weeks and counting, ladies. She's Please. a
0: champ. She's a champ. So, oh, well, I'm, I I uh, listened to the episode already and I'm really glad that I got a chance to hear what Bonnie had to, the advice that she had to give. So we're going to let you all listen and get some advice as well.
1: Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, guys. Today, we have a really interesting conversation with Bonnie Marcus. Welcome, Bonnie. Thanks, Colleen. Great to be here. Well, we appreciate your time. You are an author. You're an award-winning entrepreneur, a Forbes contributing writer, and a coach. And your recent book is called Not Done Yet. How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence, and and Claim Workplace Power. And it's a really interesting book. You've also done a book on the politics of promotion. But I think for women over 50, this is a very interesting time. We are being seen and heard more, yet there are so many of us that still feel like our voices at work are kind of softening and dwindling, and the millennials are taking over that. And it can be intimidating for a lot of women and frustrating and a host of other things. So I read your book, and I really like that it was divided into three parts. What made you think now is the time to write this book?
2: I became sensitive to this issue when I was coaching a 58-year-old female attorney who worked in a large tech firm. She had been on the legal team for like eight years, Colleen, and she was a star. But now she was the oldest and she was the oldest woman and she started to realize that things were changing. She was perceived differently. People weren't seeking out her opinion. She wasn't invited to key meetings. Uh, What really uh, scared her, quite honestly, was when her workload was redistributed to some of her younger colleagues. She knew that made her more vulnerable to being pushed out the door. She addressed it with her manager. Her manager kept saying, you know, you're fine, you're fine. But anyway, I was coaching her through that really painful experience. And I said to myself, self, this (laughs) is probably not an isolated incident. That women over 50, women who are showing signs of aging, um, are probably experiencing similar things. Started to do research, um, ended up on Catalyst uh, gender trend brief, which in fact said that the combination of gender bias and ageism for women is a double whammy. It uh, that you know we have endured gender bias throughout our entire careers. Right, we're paid eighty-two cents to the dollar of our male colleagues. We lack sponsorship. We we don't have the same opportunities for advancement. Um, and now that we show visible signs of aging, with our society's emphasis on what Catalyst calls lookism. Our beauty and youthful appearance is so important that we are suffering the consequences. Um, I started to interview more women in this in this demographic, and some of their stories, which I highlight in the book, uh, are gut-wrenching. You know, women who wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning Running in panic attacks that somebody's going to find out their age. They're going to lose their job and, and they have Botox and fillers and whatever they can do to, to remain youthful and, and young. Um, a woman in real estate, commercial real estate, who shared with me she has had eyelid surgery because she knows that that investment will keep her in business for another 10 years. So women feeling the pressure, women who were pushed out, who who um, are really struggling to get rehired, uh, you know, who are told that they're overqualified, that they don't fit into the culture. So I knew I had to write this book. I knew I had to, I had to shine a light on it because I tell you, it's really under the radar that yes, we do see celebrities. We Now we've seen the Forbes 50 over 50 list. You know, we look at Janet Yellen, we look at Nancy Pelosi, we, 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 we look at um, some of the women leaders and celebrities and we say, wow, um, women over 50 still have a voice and they're powerful. But in the workplace, the average woman in this age demographic is experiencing age discrimination. And, um, I mean, according to AARP,
1: women start to feel this in their 40s. I definitely want to talk about the commonalities of some women in power today that you see as far as their personality and their traits. But before we got, get to that, I kind of want to start with the first section of your book, which talks about the fears that are common for women in the workplace that seem to resonate In the research you were doing, things like you're too old to get promoted, you're too old to compete. What do you think starts that conversation in a woman's head? When does she start? I know you said 40s, but what triggers those fears within women?
2: Well, I think it starts, um, you know, when we're children, when we're when we're young girls and we're brought up and, and we receive messages that we're less than we're not enough. Um, what happens as we age and we turn 40 and start to show signs of aging is that, you know, now we, um, outright are, are getting messages that kind of validate all that internal stuff that we've had in our heads, our whole lives, Uh, I dedicated a whole section in my book to this because we our ageism, our gender bias, and ageism is so ingrained in our society, so ingrained that we don't even realize the um, you know how prevalent it is and how it has affected our mindset and our view of the world and. The danger is that when we start to internalize and believe these things, we hold ourselves back. And really what I want to say in this book is this is what you have control over. You, You know, you're not going to go out and change the workplace practices and policies overnight. You're not going to change society overnight. I mean, God knows, I hope all that will will change over time. But what we can do is really change our mindset um, and understand that there are significant ways that we hold ourselves back because of some of these beliefs. For instance, if we think we're too old to get promoted or ask for a raise, we are not going to do the kinds of things we need to do to stay marketable to to get that promotion or raise. We are gonna pull ourselves away uh, into the sidelines. We're not gonna be visible. We don't wanna bring attention to our age. We aren't gonna raise our hand and share our opinions. We aren't gonna volunteer for special projects. We're not gonna do the kinds of things that we know are critical for us to be successful in our careers. So it ends up being this vicious circle. And I think it's important for women to really self-reflect and take an inventory of some of these beliefs that we have and ask ourselves, well, what would our career be like? What would our life be like if we didn't believe this? You know, And then really jump into and step up into the power of, of uh, pushing those aside as best we can. We're not going to get rid of them totally, but we can
1: we can give them less energy. And that's what's- it's Self-fulfilling work. prophecy, if you believe it strongly enough. And it's difficult, like you said, because the media and other businesses are so millennial-based. And one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is, is we are powerful consumers. So we mm-hmm. should be addressed as such, yet most- power is given to the millennials. What can a woman do when to change that mindset, to start saying, I have that, my age is valuable. How can that, what steps can they take to start addressing that? Well, I
2: I think we, first of all, we need to understand that um, we don't own that power. We don't own the value of our age, our talent, our ambition, We, you know, subjected to all this emphasis on on youth and millennials, we do come to believe that we don't have as much value. And, And that's, you know, that's the first step that we need to say, well, wait a minute, let me connect with really the power and the wisdom and the experience that I bring to the table and not be apologetic for it in any way. Own it, and and make sure that you um, are visible in the workplace, and um, you know, stating your opinion and being at the table where you deserve to be. And I think that is like you can't apologize. You know, would you really want to be thirty? Uh, no, thank you. No, no, and you know, in my book, I say, well so you look at millennials and they look really young, but um, they have yet to go through some of the experiences that have um, brought you to where you are today, that where you've earned your wrinkles, (laughs) you know, they they haven't gotten there yet, but they've got a whole bunch of lessons to learn yet that we already have learned. And we can position ourselves As leaders and mentors for some of our younger colleagues, um, you know, to help them navigate some of the complexities in the workplace, as well as balancing, uh, you know, perhaps motherhood if they make that choice with a career. Those types of lessons, though,
1: that we've learned. As you ask in the book, what ways are you giving up your power Mm -hmm. that you don't even realize you're doing? And, you know, I thought one of the really practical ideas that you had was that you have to be knowledgeable on what's happening today in your business. A lot of you know women are still not you know internet savvy, social media savvy, and you kind of have to step out of your comfort zone and get comfortable with being uncomfortable there because in order to go forward in your business, you have to constantly be learning. And it's so important to do that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, we
2: need to be proactive. You know, we can't sit on our laurels in our comfort zone and think that our track record is going to take us safely all the way through retirement. Not the way it works, just not the way it works. So we need to be open to learning new things. And uh, there is a lot of research that shows that women in this age demographic uh, have the capability to learn new things. I mean, you know, there are all kinds of myths, like which some of which maybe we believe, you know, I'm too old to learn that, but that's not really true. In fact, um, there are studies that show that the connection between the two hemispheres in our brain actually increases, which gives us a whole bunch of new skills to be able to deal with in the, work, in the, in the workplace. But be proactive. Make sure that you're up on your skills to be able to competently do your job. And then do some research. What is going on in your industry? What are some of the future trends? What are some things that you can learn now to be ahead of the game to make you really marketable? And, and that also puts you in a position where maybe then you teach Uh, mentor other colleagues in the workplace. Um, So you definitely don't look like you're over the hill. You look like you're still in it to win it. Um, But it's that mindset of, I need to stay on top of the
1: game. I need to be proactive in order to stay marketable. You talk a lot in the book about mentoring and cross-generation mentoring, and not just to be a mentor, to allow maybe somebody younger to mentor you to catch up on the skills that you need. Um, Oftentimes I think we are taught by society that there is a finite amount of attention that can be given in a room, which isn't true. And so you're afraid to ask maybe someone who is more savvy perhaps on the internet to say, can you just show me some of the things for our corporation that I need to know? do you think that's changing or is that like you have to make a choice every day to say okay I'm not going to be intimidated
2: I well and and where is that that's grounded in you knowing your value and you knowing what you have to offer in return because the best way that these relationships pass the test of time is when they're win-win when it's a mutually beneficial relationships what what keeps us from doing it, I think, is first of all, we don't understand the value we can bring to a relationship like this. But also the stereotypes. You know, we put people in categories based on their age, their gender, their race, their religion, all this. And then we make assumptions about them based on that. So we have all these assumptions about millennials. They have all these assumptions about us. And that provides this huge barrier to us really getting to know one another, which can be a huge benefit, not only to both parties, but to your organization, right? Um, And so one-on-one relationships are really the best approach to this, intergenerational relationships and networking, where you get to know somebody one-on-one and that really, those barriers start to come down when you get to know somebody. Those assumptions about that other person based on their age, based on their sex, will
1: will come down once you really get to know them. There are a lot of people who are intimidated in our generation to ask the younger generation for help because it, maybe it makes them feel like they're weaker or they're showing that they're not viable in the company anymore. When in actuality, it can be a benefit because then you can show them some things that maybe they didn't realize because you've been there longer. Like you said before, you have personal experience in juggling life's issues that come about. You know, experience has value, but a lot of people and corporations don't understand that. Do you find that women are taking their place more now? A seat at the table, as they like to say, because I know it's going to take women CEOs and the head of corporations to really change the narrative?
2: Actually, there is research that shows that it's not happening, not just because companies aren't trying to advance women. I mean, that's part of it, where companies fail to do what's necessary to retain women. Um, And I say, why don't you ask the women what they need to stay on board? But that doesn't seem to... (laughs) That doesn't seem to happen. Um, But a lot of women are making decisions now, according to research, where they think they don't think it's worth it. Really? Yeah. And so they are opting out of some of the leadership, top leadership roles of sitting at the table. I mean, that doesn't mean that they're not contributing. Maybe they're not in the C-suite. Maybe they're not on the board. But, But yeah, that that's a troubling trend. And what that shows to me is a huge red flag that workplaces aren't doing enough to retain women. We
1: have spoken to several women um, in the corporate realm that try to address the issues of menopause in business and mm-hmm. try to say that there are certain, just like we have, you know, when, you're, when you have a baby, you get time off, women are terrified if they're symptomatic in menopause to bring it up in the business world to their jobs. They don't want to say, I'm having a really bad perimenopausal day. Can I take the time off? So that adds to in our age demographic, another layer of stress because there are women who actually quit their jobs just because they are going through perimenopause and are suffering so greatly and are afraid to talk about it. And corporations are not addressing that concern. Have you found that in the research? Uh, yes, I mean I interviewed some women who
2: you know uh, a woman who's probably a bit older, but she was a leader in financial services um, and she was the only woman and the only older woman. Um, and she she did tell me about her fears with menopause when she was giving some of these um, big presentations and she would you know she was suffering with hot flashes. but at that point in time, and, and, you know, that was probably a couple of decades ago, at least, you just kind of power through it. There was no way that you could bring this up or make an excuse because you were trying to be more like a man. I think that now the trend that we see is that women are accepting their femininity, they're accepting the power of their femininity, and everything that goes with it, trying to be be, you know, much more authentic um, and powerful as a woman rather than trying to be a woman like a man. You know, the second
1: part of your book, you talk about stop thinking small to start, you know, really appreciating, declare your ambitions. That is so hard for women to do. How can a woman in our demographic start changing that mindset to stop thinking small and to actually want to shrink in a room, just keep my job Don't cause waves. How can they start changing that mindset? Well, they need to own their value
2: and their talent. Um, I help a lot of my clients to identify what their value proposition is, uh, and that is how their work leads to positive business outcomes. You know, we we tend to identify with our title or our job description, we don't own the impact that our work uh, has on the business, how it really makes makes a difference. And that gives you the confidence to understand, wow, you should raise your hand. You do have value here and your opinions do count. Um, and so I think that's really the first start And with all my coaching clients and all the programs that I do with my clients, we usually start with what is that value proposition? Because, you know, we take it for granted that anyone can do what we do and how we do it and get the same results. And we're all unique. And we all have a different way of uh, doing the work that truly, truly makes a difference. And with that, we can begin to build influence in the workplace. We can begin to lead with that understanding how we can help others, our team, our manager, the business achieve their objectives. So it's a really powerful way to understand I'm not small. I have a lot, I have a lot to contribute here that's, that's
1: my foundation. Now you made a statement in your book that said ambition does not end on a particular birthday. And I believe that if you have the ambition, the willing to learn, you take the experiences from every career you've had before to the next one. And that's an invaluable thing that is really pushed under the rug for a lot of women. Every experience you have in business and life has value. And it makes you that much more marketable. But like you said, it's really changing the mindset of not just us, but of the people we work with to show that. And we
2: we need to possibly rethink the ambition. I mean, we think of ambition as, oh, I need to make it to the C-suite, right? Um, you can be ambitious as a podcaster. I you know I think we, we need to uh, rethink what some of our objectives are and really where we're going to focus our energy going forward and understand that we can be ambitious at whatever we're doing we can bring that same focus and energy to our work you also talk about keeping a success journal Mm, you tell a lot of your clients to do that and why is that important we discount all the things that we do we we forget and we um we really don't acknowledge and celebrate some of the wonderful things that we do, some of the results that we get, some of the things we do in in our personal life, um, as well as our professional life. When research shows that when you have repetitive acknowledgement, um, you have repetitive positive thinking, you actually change the neural pathways in your brain so that your default thinking isn't negative it becomes more positive. So um, I like to tell this story where, you know, you're driving home from work or in the days when you did, you turn off your computer um, and you're not Zooming and you say to yourself, oh, I can't believe I made that stupid statement in that meeting, or "I, I should have raised my hand and brought up that point, or, you know, I sounded so stupid, or I didn't say anything, and now I'm never gonna get a raise, and I'm you know, people are gonna think I'm stupid. And our tendency is to go to the negative and the things that we didn't measure up to in our mind. Instead of acknowledging some of the good stuff. So we we beat ourselves up, and that sticks to us, all that negative thinking like Velcro. The positive stuff, like "Wow, Colleen, you know, you really did a great, great podcast today. That interview was terrific." Somebody says that to you. Ah, anybody could do that. It it just like like Teflon. It flows. Downplay it. Mm. So the idea here is to shift so that we acknowledge and celebrate the things that we do well, and change that pattern. So our default thinking is much more positive and keeping the success journal over a period of time helps you to um, to see things that you do really well and look at your life and your career in a much more positive in a much more positive way. I tell all my coaching clients to start keeping a success journal and it really makes a huge difference.
1: Great. See I love practical things that people can do to change the mindset because first a lot of uh, women and men they'll hear, well, you need to change your mindset. Well, that's a great idea, but how oh do I do? yeah, exactly. That's great. Thank you. How do I do that? So when there's practical things like keeping a success journal, you also talk about writing status reports for your manager. Those are practical things that you can do that will change you over time, change that mindset over time. Another interesting part, you talk about, ways to talk to your boss about ageism and sexism. Women are terrified to bring up those topics to their boss. If something happens in the workplace, they are very hesitant to go to their boss and talk to them. How do you think they can do that, kind of get out of their comfort zone and say, I need to talk to you about something that happened? Yeah.
2: Um, First of all, I just, I want to make a point that with gendered ageism now in the workplace, It's very similar to where women were before the Me Too movement. Before Me Too, women were experiencing sexual harassment, perhaps sexual abuse. They were afraid to bring it up. They were afraid to file a complaint. They felt that they didn't have a safe environment to discuss it with their managers or anyone else. Um, They would face repercussions, probably get fired if if they did so. They had no legal recourse. And then after Me Too, women began to find their voice. They felt, and I'm not saying this is true across the board, but for the most part, women feel more empowered to have these conversations, to perhaps um, file a lawsuit if it's appropriate, whatever. Um, And that whole movement gave women a voice and it built awareness around an issue. And one of the reasons why I wrote this book is I wanna build that awareness and I wanna give women a voice because we are silent about this when it happens in the workplace. We don't feel that um, we can safely talk about this without perhaps bringing attention to our age or losing our job. We know that, um, that companies can easily get around the anti-discrimination and employment law by calling it downsizing or, you know, whatever. Um, and so uh, we need to certainly understand ourselves where the boundaries are, just as in Me Too, like what crosses the line, what is inappropriate and address it in the workplace. Place And that's why I, I talk about it in the book, because we need to acknowledge how something makes us feel. And we need to have other people understand that that's sexist and that's ageist. Because here's what I believe, Colleen. I mean, this stuff is so ingrained in our society. I think that a lot of people don't even realize that they're making comments, even in a joke, that affect us and giving them the benefit of the doubt and bringing this to their attention is really a win-win because they then understand wow it's just like when somebody said before you know oh you look so good a man would say to a woman you look so good today you know love that dress on you or something certainly didn't realize that a woman might take offense at that right Right. how that would make her feel but now now, uh, with more awareness about it, they perhaps do unless they're totally in a bubble. So, having a conversation with your manager, depending on how what your relationship is like with that manager, and assuming that it's okay and that you communicate pretty well, it is important to uh, to state how that action or comment made you feel. And um, and and let them know and communicate it in a way without being uh, aggressive. Like you did this and that was terrible. And and so I give a couple of different scripts in in the book for how best to ab- approach your manager or your HR representative. Um, Again, somebody in a group might make a joke or a comment. Maybe you don't want to address it in front of the group, but maybe one-on-one afterwards, you know, you know, when you referred to me as being around, you know, when Abe Lincoln was here, yes, yeah, that made me feel. See, I, just made, I just laughed and I shouldn't have. <laughs> you wouldn't believe some of the comments, right? Some of the comments, just crazy. And it's meant as a joke. But and it still we need into to the bring aware of the fact, you know, that's really ageist, you know. Um, telling somebody that they really look good for their age is ageist. I mean, people say that to me all the time and I accept it as a compliment. But on the other hand, I was like, whoa, wait a minute, that's ageist. How am I supposed to look at my age?
1: Exactly. So, you look good period end of sentence it doesn't matter the age yeah
2: you're having a good day you good. Thank you very much um exactly. and another point on that colleen is that we don't know how to look at our age we don't have any role models all the role models have had extensive work done some of them look amazing and some of them don't but uh the thing is that
1: what are we supposed to look like True. We're living longer than we ever did, men and women, and I think the lagging cultural narrative, it's time to catch up, but yet catch up to what? Because we're working into our later years. What does that look like? So we're kind of inventing the wheel as we go in the hopes that our daughters and the next generation take for granted what we are hoping to change. But our demographic will be in the workplace
2: a lot longer than ever before. And that, and our demographic is growing. Yes. As a large, as a percentage of employees. So, um, you know, we, we need to be proactive. We need to stay marketable and keep that job because I have also found that Many women have you know
1: don't have enough in retirement money. We spoke to Gene Chatsky about that a couple of months ago, and it was an interesting conversation because there's no one correct formula, but people are working much longer and delaying their social security and all those things that they can't live off of anyway. but it leads to a whole nother. Topic of conversations. And one of the things when you're saying that we are working longer is that your third section of the book is is talk about be your badass self. And one of the important things in doing that is self care. And so many women of our generation believe that our self care is one, selfish, and two, is so last on the list that they never get to it. Why is that so important for us to maintain our? Job and our passion for our work through self care.
2: Well, it fuels us. You know, um, it 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 energizes us. It stimulates our brain. Um, you know, exercising, keeping physical, certainly stimulates uh, your brain cells and brain cell growth as much as it. You know, makes you look better. Um, and I think we think of. Some of these things is vanity when, in fact, it's maintenance, it's helping with longevity. Um, the way you uh, approach the world, you know, I, I talk about the glass half full, about choosing joy. Um, this kind of an outlook in life supports everything in your life, including including your career, You know, if you go into the workplace and you see somebody over fifty who doesn't have the energy, who always appears tired, who has very little interest, they do their job and they leave, they go home. um, Not not much of an investment. You know, they that kind of person. Number one, you don't want to work with. What a drag. Um, and also, um, they probably contribute very little and they're making themselves vulnerable to being pushed out. And and they are um, validating all these terrible stereotypes about older workers. Right. Um, but you're right. I mean, as women, we have always put ourselves last. And I think that there's some of the power in, in in being this age is that perhaps if if we were mothers, we are beginning to see a light at the end of the tunnel with with an empty nest. There's more time to focus on our relationships, to focus on ourselves, and we need to grab that opportunity. If we haven't been doing it our whole lives, it's time now to do it.
1: As you were talking about before, it's a mindset and perspective. A lot of corporations need to realize Once we become empty nesters, we have that time to focus on our career. That maybe the parents that have young children that have to leave early for the soccer game or have to leave early because someone's sick, well, we're going to be there. We're sitting there saying we have the time. We are willing to learn and we are willing to put in the extra time. And I wish that corporations would see that more because I do think it is a benefit for our demographic that goes unnoticed. Yeah, absolutely. So I agree with you that self-care is important. You know, selfish isn't always a bad word as we get a little older. It's a freedom that we have earned through life. And you really get to decide what your priorities are, like you were saying before. Thank you so much for writing this book, Not Done Yet, How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim Workplace Power. It's an important book for women to read. I think it just, you have some really great practical, like you said, if you want to talk to your boss, here's some examples of how you can talk to your boss. Change your mindset. It's really important for women in our demographic to feel viable and productive and useful. So thank you for being a voice for that. Thank
2: you for giving me the opportunity to to talk about this topic.
1: Absolutely. And guys, make sure to get the book. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and have a great day. Thank you. Well, guys, we hope you learned some practical tips on just being comfortable at this age in your career, knowing that it's not done yet, that you still have a lot to learn and a lot to share and a lot to experience. And I think Bonnie had a great conversation with that. Make sure to check out her book, Not Done Yet, How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim Workplace Power. Also make sure to subscribe to the podcast, flash with some Cool Topics, because as we said, we have some great episodes coming up and season three is just a month away, if you can believe it, guys. So have a great week. We will talk to you next time and Bridget will be joining us from now yes, on. Yes. She's I not allowed to get sick go. anymore. I
0: can't anymore. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Bye.